This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Bartholomew Town is presented in part by the University of Rhode Island Online, who offer a wide array of programs. Learn more by visiting uri.edu slash online. State Senator Tiara Mack, welcome back to the show. It's been a minute. Good to see you. Good to see you too. What is this budget for 2024? What does it look like to you? Your first glance, sort of assessment of priorities and, and your interpretation of what you've seen so far. So when I've looked at this budget, we have uh, one, a historic $100 million investment in housing, potentially. It'll be in the form of a ballot um, initiative on the upcoming um, election. So voters will be able to decide if we invest $100 million in housing, which is really cool. It'll be in the form of a housing bond so we can start on some housing production. There's also some other uh, cool tidbits like, um, and I selfishly have only really dove into some of the housing stuff because that's kind of my niche focus. I've looked a little bit at the Department of Corrections budget and a few other things that stood out to me. And I made like a six or seven part uh, series on my Instagram of just what I noticed and what was being spent. Um, But in terms of housing, we also now have a requirement that the Secretary of Housing will come out with a report every three years about the state of housing. And then also another cool thing that I noticed was a tidbit around um, requiring that report to include discrepancies between race, class, ethnicity of home mortgages that are given out. So some, some sneaky ways that equity and justice are built into that housing forecasting, but definitely some room for improvement. We still have um, some of the same investments in emergency rental assistance, including $12 million um, for the emergency rental assistance program. Um, One of the things I was disappointed the most by in this budget, that it seems a little tone deaf to the reality of how far those programs were able to go. Last year, the $12 million emergency rental assistance program was gone in three months. Um, And I just crunched the numbers yesterday for my um, email list that I haven't sent out that's related to housing. We had about 8,000 evictions, uh, give or take, that were just for non-payment of rent. Rent housing has made so many headlines in Rhode Island. The average rent cost right now is $2,100 throughout the state. So about $2,000, someone who falls behind on rent for two months is already owing $4,000 to a landlord. You multiply that by 8,000 people um, who need rental assistance, who have um, who have um, a fear of not being able to pay their rent. You're looking at a program that's going to cost upwards of $65 million in order to meet the need of every single Rhode Islander who is facing um lack of security of being able to pay their rent. So that $12 million, while it was a huge help for the Rhode Islanders who needed that eviction um, protection, it is not going to go far enough. Again, that was gone in three months. We should see a significant improvement in that investment, um, whether that's doubling that budget or whether that's tripling that budget. Um, So a little disappointing to see after the numbers have come in that it has stayed um, pretty stagnant. Mm, that's really interesting. You flagged that because it's honestly not talked about in the context of the housing crisis anywhere near enough. Production is so important. We're the worst in the country in production. We know all the statistics by now, but keeping people in their existing homes is something that is just as important as anything. And the backstops for that need to be there. Understanding that, sure, there also has to be some level of fiscal discipline where otherwise. I mean, in in theory, we could all just have our rent covered by the state. We can do that. We have the money to do that. It's it's just about priorities. 
um, going forward or rent or mortgage going forward. It's actually possible to do that. Um, but there's a balancing act. I agree 12, mi- 12 million comes up short when you're just being honest about the situation on the ground and honest about the reality of what production is going to look like in the state. Even if we have our, our foot on the gas pedal, it's going to take a long time until we have sufficient housing stock. We need to keep people, people in their existing homes as long as possible. Yeah, and there's um, there's some policies that have been introduced, um, both at the municipal level and the state level, that are aimed to do just that. Another reality that we have to really contend with is that oftentimes most people's salaries only increased three to five percent annually, and we're seeing rental increases, some of the highest again in the nation, making headlines as having some of the highest rental increases, seven percent on average, which means that some people are having larger increases than that, and some people are having lower increases than that, and a lot of that's driven by a lot of different factors. We have a low vacancy rate. We have um, one of the hottest housing markets. Lots of people are selling to um, either out-of-state realtors or to um, real estate investments. And that's driving up the home cost. A home that someone was living in by a previous owner is now being sold for 30 to 40% more, which means that the mortgage of that new building with a new owner is going to be more increasing rent prices. But when you see people who have 25 to 50% increases in their rent that doesn't keep up with their three to five percent increase in their salary month over month we have a we have a problem of the math here not adding up and so we do need relief for these tenants and through no fault of their own prices are increasing and their wages are not keeping up yeah the floor is falling out from under people and there's not much you can do about it when like you said wage stagnation general cost of living increases coupled with significant inflation and a shortage of housing production, it's, it's a mess and we just have to get through this period. Hopefully, when we look five, 10 years down the line, we're in a different environment that is much more self-sustaining, but we're just not there right now. And I think if people were more honest about it, like you said, we'd be just better off. I mean, it's as simple as that. What, what else jumps out to you? I, there's been a lot made of the transit situation, the public transit situation. That's obviously expanded beyond the budget with the bus hub conversation. Now, Pawtucket Central Falls, the, the transportation hub there, there's some community input being requested. But overall, public transit in Rhode Island right now didn't really get much help from this budget. No, it didn't. And that's been a large conversation with advocates on the ground. We know that RIPTA is facing a fiscal cliff. We know that public transportation has to be a part of a climate resilient future. And we have to make investments to divest, uh, to divest in cars and a car centric model in our economy if we want to be able to combat the climate crisis, which means more people taking public transportation and expansion of robust public transportation. But unfortunately, we saw that there were lines of the RIPTA cut. We had a pilot program of the free R line, which was amazing for the folks who were able to use it. But um, that since has ended. And we don't see an investment going into the one mode of transportation that allows people who are low income to be able to save costs that allows us to also address the climate crisis and expand opportunities. Right now, we just don't see that happening in this budget. And there's a lot of other things happening transportation-wise in the state right now um, that I think are taking some um, taking some of the attention, um, including the, the hubbub about the bridge. Um, but I think transportation, including fully funding RIPTA, is what most residents in Rhode Island want and needs to be reflected in this budget. So it was also disappointing that the calls for um, RIPTA to be fully funded as it faces fiscal cliff was not addressed in this budget in a sufficient way to save this like critical engine of Rhode Island. 
What do you make of the bridge, the Washington Bridge crisis right now as someone who represents a part of Providence and just as a state senator in general? What, what do you think when you see this right now? Well, I hear a lot that it's impacting everyone's day-to-day life. So it's a huge quality of life issue. It's a huge safety issue, but it also raises really grave concerns about how we are able to have a state that functions and is um, having leaders at the top that are going to make sure that the safety is the major concern of every single Rhode Islander. Most in most businesses um, just outside of my district, so I represent parts of the jewelry district in downtown that kind of abut this bridge closure, saw some significant um, impacts to their um, businesses. We now have an emergency relief for small businesses through the federal government who were impacted by this bridge closure. So it's significant enough that we're seeking and getting aid from our federal government in order to address this crisis, but it's also increasing transportation times. I've got friends who are saying that they can't make it to work on time and also send their uh, young people to schools, to other activities. They're having to make the decision of being in traffic for 45 minutes to an hour. Um, I had to go to New Bedford the other day for something. And on my way back, I was like, oh my goodness, how long is it going to take me to get back to Providence. And so I think it's not just a quality of life issue, but it's impacting small businesses, which have already been impacted by the global pandemic, by multiple floods that have happened over the summer, tons of rain impacting people's ability to actually get to businesses or um, relying on flea markets and outdoor vendors in order to supplement some of their income. So it's just another blow to small businesses that we need to make sure that we have infrastructure getting people from one part of our state to another that function. Um, And there's been many headlines, and I know there's um, the federal investigation that has now started and launched. Um, So all things that are concerning. And I think first and foremost, Rhode Islanders want to know that when they cross a bridge, it's going to be able to support the weight of their car, take them from point A to point B. We are the ocean state. So much of Rhode Island is islands, and the only way to get those is through bridges. So I think we're learning a lot more about this, um, about this kind of crisis around the bridge and about the leadership decisions and the business and engineering decisions surrounding this bridge. And I hope that we're not disappointed by some of these findings. And I hope that we have, again, a plan in place to make sure that transportation in a multitude of um, modes, including buses, including comprehensive roads um, and highway systems, is going to be a top priority of this current administration and of any future administrations. Yeah, I think the thing that's most startling about it is the the notion that you could have a bridge pass inspection in July, supposedly, and then all of a sudden, just by happenstance, in December, a catastrophic failure is found. Now, among three possibilities is total demolition for this bridge. And it does give pause to a lot of Rhode Islanders in general to say, hey, what else might be literally and figuratively falling through the cracks here in the state? It raises a level of of distrust with government, and that's a major problem as well. Yeah, and we see, again, through this budget that so many people are falling through the cracks. Um, in addition to paying attention to some of the housing things, one of the other um, areas that I like really focus on is um, criminal justice reform and our state's prisons. Last year, we were able to increase the frozen accounts of folks who are incarcerated inside the ACI to $2,000. But what that did not come with, unfortunately, was a raise in the wages. Right now, the ACI caps wages at $3 a day, meaning that someone who is now paying more money into this frozen account, which is money that they get when they leave the ACI in order to pay for things like rent, uh, food, help themselves get back on their feet, is um, is not 
being supplemented by an increase of wages. And that's money that they can't touch while they're in there to pay for an increase of the commissary, an increase of some other things that they need in order to live day to day. We did see in this budget, and I haven't dived too deep into um, all of the um, requests from the ACI, but among them include improvements to the facilities of the ACI. Um, but what is not included is about $2 million needed to increase the wages of someone at the ACI from $3 to $6 a day. Um, so disappointing, again, to see that some some people in our state, some of the most vulnerable inside of our prison populations who are working, who do have jobs, are seeing um, a maximum of $3 a day. Um, and we need to make sure that um, when we see an increase in a budget, it actually reflects the needs of the people who are going to be in there. I believe it's an $11 million difference from last year to this year for the um, the Rhode Island Department of Corrections budget. And again, nowhere is that $2 million for an increase in um, incarceration wages um, present. Lots on the table. Busy morning here today. State Senator Tiara Mack, thanks so much for your time. Thanks.